Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt, a, a radio personality of your stature, I, I'm sure you are, you're used to being photographed, photographed a lot over the years? <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. I guess so. Okay, around your house, are, do, do you have, I, I don't know about you, but I, I just, I, I don't, I see, sometimes I see photographs of myself and I kind of cringe, you know, okay. it's sort of like, you know, like going back and listening to yourself do oh, the radio yeah. show, is that it? Oh. But, but there are, I mean, do you have a couple like photos of, of yourself and maybe with your spouse or kids or whatever that, that you really particularly like? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, just, just a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm sort of like that too. Um, like, like for instance, there's, there's three photographs of, of my wife and I, one was a couple years ago at a Jimmy Buffett concert in, in Las Vegas. And one was taken by my brother-in-law about two years ago when we were at Oktoberfest in, in Glendale. Okay. And one was when we were on this thing called the Bridge of Size in um, Salzburg, Austria. And it's one of these things where you, you, you buy, you spend a lot of money and buy one of these locks and you kind of like lock the, it's a chain link bridge and you like lock the, you lock the, oh, the yes. you put the lock on the chain and then you throw away the key and yep. means you're going to be together forever, forever and stuff. Yes. Absolutely. And, and there's a picture of us do, and, <laughs> and the people that really love it is the, the place across the way that sells the locks for you. <laughs> oh, this is a $2 and 50 cent lock. You want it? It's 25 bucks, you know, and of course you're, you're going to do it. But there, there's three pictures of Fran and I over time and I just, I, I love them. They, it really warms my heart every time I, I see those different pictures. Well, okay, on my Twitter account, this is where we're going, at Jeff Wagner 620 there, there's another one. I, I posted it. Yesterday was National Pet Day. Did mm-hmm. you know that? Yesterday was that, National yeah. Pet Day. And so I have a photograph. And this this is going up there as one of my all-time, honest-to-goodness, all-time favorite photographs. It is a photograph um, of me with with my pet Sasha. Now we did not we did not post it yesterday because even though yesterday was National Pet Day, I didn't fo- post it because Sasha doesn't think she's a pet. Right. She was like she would be like, Dad, what do you mean National mm-hmm. Pet Day? Mm-hmm. Um, and and of course I agree. But it's uh, that's our living room. It's a photograph of me holding holding Sasha, and it's uh, it, it just instantly it it went to one of my top three or four. The, the other three photographs I was talking about are me and my wife. This is me in the. Door. <laughs> Dog, you know, so it's, but it's, uh, if you want to check it out, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, and that's, that's, uh, that's my dog, Sasha, and stuff. So it's Very National nice. Pet Day. Yeah. So again, like I say, she doesn't think that she's a pet. So you can check that out on Twitter <laughs> at Jeff Wagner 620. One of my favorites. All right. We do not go gently into the good weekend on this program. A lot of different things and some eclectic stuff. I want to start off with this story from last night, and it's another one of these horrible sort of stories. It it happens a little bit after 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon. What's going on is the the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department sees this car on I-94-43, driving extremely recklessly. They try to pull over the car. And again, this is about, you know, around 5 o'clock, so you're talking about rush hour. The car 
takes off on them. All right, so the car is running away. It exits the interstate at Holt Avenue, if you can picture that on the south side, and then starts driving west. The deputy continues to chase, and, and there's actually... Uh, you, you can hear the, the footage from the, the dispatcher, and they're saying, okay, we're, we're chasing this particular car. The car driving extremely erratically and at a high rate of speed. They estimate that the uh, car ended up driving, uh, wove in and out of traffic, ran various stop signs. Um, they, they think at one point in time on the freeway the car was driving over 80 miles an hour. On the city streets where the speed limit is 20 or 25, the car is blowing through stop signs at 50 miles an hour. The sheriff's department continues in pursuit. What ends up happening is you get through this intersection around South 13th Street, and what happens is the car driven by the fleers, crashes into another car headed southbound on South 13th Street. Don't know if you saw any of the film footage of this, but it, it's it's a massive collision. A couple other cars were apparently involved in the collision as well. The driver of the car that was hit by the person who was fleeing the cops, he's a 25-year-old man, he's dead. Dead, killed as a result of this, just the situation of him being in the absolute wrong place at the wrong time. Predictably, what happens in these things is the bad guys, they're not injured. Guy, 18-year-old male driver, and two female passengers get out of the car and start running on foot. They are apprehended. So you got an 18-year-old guy. you got two female passengers. When they look in the car, they find a gun. They find drugs in the car. But, of course, the story is the 25-year-old guy who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, he's hit by this fleeing vehicle. He is now dead. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us be clear here. The person responsible for the death of this 25-year-old man was the 18-year-old punk who decided that he wasn't going to pull over when the sheriff's department tried to pull him over on the freeway. He wasn't going to pull over after he got off the freeway. So there's no question, let's not make any bones about it, the the 18-year-old punk driving the car, trying to flee from the police, he is responsible for the death of this 25-year-old man, and hopefully he will spend most, if not all, of his remaining years behind prison, behind prison bars, paying for that. All right, but here's the flip side of this. If the police, if the sheriff's department had elected not to chase, all right, I think, you know, you can always play woulda, coulda, shoulda, but if they had elected not to chase, got the license plate, and simply tried to pursue an investigation later on down the road, I mean, you can argue that this 25-year-old man would not have been dead. But by pursuing the chase, you, of course, encourage the bad guy to drive in an even more reckless fashion, and this is what ends up happening at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So let's tee this up, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and chases happen all too frequently around here. This is a routine occurrence. People dying as a result of something that occurred during the chase isn't so routine. 414-799-1620. Let us tee this up. 
Is this a situation, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, where you don't chase, you just let the guy go away, and then you hope to investigate him down the line? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Horrible story from yesterday afternoon. Is this a justification for police not chasing people who flee from them? Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, My thoughts are that they should pursue these guys and get these idiots off the road. Uh, This idiot uh, was driving recklessly. He could have killed someone. If they weren't chasing him, he could have killed someone a few blocks later on the road. Well, that that's always the problem. For everybody who tries to second-guess this type of stuff, the question becomes, all right, first of all, why do you assume he's not going to drive recklessly? And, and secondly, if you're willing to do this, well, you know that you're going to be out there committing other crimes as well. And so the police have an obligation to try to do whatever they can reasonably to get this, to apprehend this, in this case, this 18-year-old punk who, for some reason— guns and drugs, who knows what he had done beforehand, was trying to get away from the cops. Yeah, um, it's just get, get the scum off the road and in jail. Yeah, no thanks. Well, that and of course that that that's always the problem. Now you have to use your best judgment in these cases. And I'm not one of these people who are arguing that, you know, the police have to chase till the completion of a chase at all times. You know, you, you have to, I think, assess What's going on? Are you going to be driving down um, Wisconsin Avenue or or to Sunday night at six o'clock when you've got the Pfizer Forum and you've got people all over downtown? If you have somebody that decides to run away, are you engage going to engage in a high speed chase that's going to take you through those huge pedestrian areas? Well, my answer would be no. But you have to assess that on a case by case basis. But for people who are out there saying, "Well, he should have just let him go in the first place," I'm sorry, I I don't. Buy that. 414-799-1620. Jennifer in West Bend. Jennifer, you're on WTMJ. Hi. I absolutely agree with the previous caller. They have to follow. And I I choose to use the term follow rather than chase because chasing just sounds like it's already assigning blame to the police officers. Okay. It's my understanding that they were driving recklessly to begin with before that they started even following them, and so there's nothing to say that they wouldn't have ended up having the exact same thing happen on the, their own. And it's it's just it's just unbelievable. It, I don't know if the car was stolen or if it was registered to the driver, but if they don't catch him in the act, there's no way to prove that he was the one who was behind the wheel or even to trace him if it wasn't his vehicle. Yeah. So I, I don't know how they could follow up at a later time. You know, it's. I will, I will tell you, Jennifer, these stories, and I've been doing this show for a long time, these stories are just so incredibly frustrating to me because you have, you know, we have one or two of them a week. You know, now they don't all thankfully result in fatalities, but it's just one situation after another where you have this criminal element around here that decides that they are going to run, and you always have the story of just a person in the wrong place at the wrong time, driving home, you're in the intersection, and all of a sudden this car blasts through it. And I, I guess I, I find it impossible to blame the police. I want to put the blame where it lies, which in this case is on, on the 18-year-old thug who was running from the cops. But as long as there's no accountability, no consequences for their behavior, 
it's just going to continue. It's a game. It's a game to them. Well, well, yeah. it is, and, and nobody, and of course, there, there's no no thought about gee, what what could happen here. You're you're right. It's like okay, let's try to get away, and uh, you know, look. And what happens, unfortunately, a lot of times is there's a loss of life. But, you know, it's almost never, almost never the person who's running. It's almost always the innocent person who just happens to be in the intersection when the guy crashes through the stop signs. Right. Now, thanks for calling. I mean, I, you, you just I, I just I wish you could take the criminal class in Milwaukee and just kind of shake them and say, don't you understand this is what's going to happen? And so now, look, I, I don't know if this car, this 18 year old would have pulled over. OK, they, they've got they've got a gun there. They, they've got some dope in the car. All right. Well, OK, a gun and dope. You're probably going to put be put on probation in Milwaukee if you get if you get prosecuted in the first place, even if it's a stolen car. That's probably what gonna, what's going to happen if you're 18 years old. But now that you have done this, you have taken somebody's life and you have pretty much assured that you are going to be behind bars hopefully for the next couple decades that's the choice you've ended up making but it's not the fault of the police i think that something like this has happened 414-799-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line let's talk to john in brookfield john good afternoon good afternoon thanks for taking my call sure what do you think um, I think that not not just this eighteen year old, but the other two people in the car should also be held accountable for what happened. Right. There's two two people that might have you know spoken some you know words of wisdom to this guy, like hey stop or you know get out of the car or hey maybe I shouldn't be getting in the car with this guy because he's got drugs and a gun. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and you don't know what's going on, but it's probably 50-50 that they're encouraging him. Here, swing this way, go that way. Yeah, right. Be, be, no, because you know, running, the, yeah. unfortunately, it, among, you know, again, the Milwaukee criminal class, this is a game. Let's see if we can run from the cops. And, and then even, I guess one of the things that particularly aggravates me about the story, John, is even after being involved in this big smash-up, and they think there's like four cars in an accident, smashing into a car, killing the person, these people don't even have the decency to stand around. I mean, they, they flee. They're trying to get away. I mean, there's just no sense of responsibility at all. Um, here, let's just run and see if we can get away. What? Yeah, I think they need to put some fear into these kids and say, hey, even if you're not the person driving, you could still be in serious trouble. They have no fear. They don't care. No, they don't. Exactly. No, right. Thanks for calling. And, and, no, and no sense of responsibility at all. And as a result, we have another person that's dead. Now, again, I, I, I do think... It is important for, in this case, since it's the sheriff's department, my belief is the Milwaukee Police Department is going to be doing the investigation of this. I, I do think it is always important to come out and to analyze everything that went into this. Because like I say, I think you have to realize that when you do start a chase, there's always a possibility that it's going to end up, you know, like this with, with some innocent person getting killed. So, I mean, I do think it's fair to say, all right, let's look at the decision making. Now, this this wasn't five in the morning. This was five ten in the afternoon. I don't know how crowded the streets were, etc. Don't know how long exactly the chase occurred. Don't know what some of the other options were. I mean, my instinct is you, you can't let people get away. At the same time, sometimes you just have to let them get away because the risk to the pursuing officers and the risk to the general public is just too great. So I think it's always fair to, to look into things from that particular perspective. 
But in, in this case, for anybody who's suggesting that their knee-jerk reaction is that they should have just let them drive away, you know, my answer is no. And if you want to try to assess blame, it's on the twenty, it's on the eighteen-year-old who decided that he did not care about other people's lives, and as a result. He's going to pay a penalty because somebody else paid the ultimate price for that 18-year-old's irresponsibility. It's 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm sorry, a bunch of people wanted to weigh in on that last topic, but we got so much ground to cover, we're going to move on. There's a there's a story that the Journal Sentinel had yesterday. I want to share it with you quickly before we go to Eric Bilstadt's news. And I'm I, I just I want to I want to read the story. It's brief as it's reported briefly, and then just kind of raise a certain question. Milwaukee woman, this is the headline, was reportedly attacked on Good Hope Road during a road rage incident. A 20-year-old Milwaukee woman said she was physically attacked in the middle of Good Hope Road in an apparent road rage incident at about 10 p.m. Thursday, March 28th. That would have been two weeks ago yesterday. The woman told Glendale Police the trouble started in the 7800 block of Tetonia Avenue, where a car rear-ended her. And Tetonia is probably about... I don't know. that This is probably like half a mile from where she ended up. She says a car rear-ended her and ran her off the road, causing her to get two flat tires. The car continued to follow her onto Good Hope Road. When she got to the Aurora Health Center, 3003 West Good Hope Road, the car pinned her driver's side door shut, causing her to climb out of the passenger side of the car, according to the police report. Two women and a man got out of the other vehicle and started beating her, mostly on the head. After the attack, the three suspects got into their car and fled. The victim called police. The officer met her in the middle of Good Hope Road. The officer did not notice any bruises or scratches on the woman's face. The woman said she had never met any of the three people before and she could not provide a description of her attackers. Huh. I listened to all that. I think of how far the road rage incident supposedly occurred from where the car ended up. Uh, I drove all this way on two flat tires. People got out of the car. They beat me up. Um, Police say she can't describe any of this, and there's no physical evidence of this. Now, I I don't know, and I'm sure they're investigating, but let me just say this. My prosecutor's radar is up that there might be more to this story than perhaps the alleged victim is saying. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Turmoil in Titletown this week as Aaron Rodgers responds to alleged dysfunction inside the walls of Lambeau Field. Hear Rodgers' exclusive interview with ESPN Wisconsin's Wilde and Tausch anytime. All you have to do is text the word Rodgers, that's R-O-D-G-E-R-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line at 414-799-1620. Okay, I want to talk about this whole Julian Assange thing, and I want to put it in terms that I think are simple. There's a lot of articles that are out there. There's a lot of commentary about this. And and I think maybe sometimes people are are losing track of, of what exactly happened. So bear with me while I try to explain this. As a general rule, under the law, you cannot benefit from the criminal activity of others. So my regular producer, Gru, he's off today. Roadkill, back behind the, the counter. Let us say that I decide, for whatever reasons, that Roadkill has a TV set that I really like, and I steal his TV set. I have stolen his TV set. And then I decide, you know what? Rather than the TV set, 
I'd rather have the dough for it. So I put the TV in the back of my car. I drive, I don't know, to some area, and I find somebody else. I find Eric Bilstadt, and I say, Eric, I know you'd like a new TV. Here, let me show you what I got in the back of my car. I'll sell you this TV for 50 bucks. And Eric says, hey, that's a 65-inch TV screen. That's really nice. Okay, here's the 50 bucks. All right. Well, then let's say I, I get caught. And it turns out that, yes, I had stolen Roadkill's TV set. Well, all right, Eric Bilstadt doesn't get to keep the TV. Why? Because even if he didn't know it was stolen, doesn't matter. I didn't have the legal right to sell it to him in the first place. I mean, you know, the the TV goes back to Roadkill. And if Eric wants to come after me for the 50 bucks, he, he can't. But he doesn't get title to the TV. He can't benefit from my crime. That is the general rule. There is somewhat of an exception to that when it comes to the media. Remember back at the time of the Pentagon Papers case, and this was sort of dramatized if you saw the movie The Post with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks a couple of years ago. Back in the, what, in the, the late 60s, maybe early 70s, you had a guy named Daniel Ellsberg who was a former researcher for the Defense Department or the CIA or whatever, and he wrote, he had access to a series of these reports about the Vietnam War that had all this information based on classified documents. It was a report that was done at the request of Bob McNamara, who's the Secretary of Defense, and it kind of showed that you'd had multiple presidents for years and years lying to the American public about what was going on in, in Vietnam. So Ellsberg, what he did is he took all this classified information copied it all, and then started distributing it to the press, gave it to the New York Times, gave it to the Washington Post, gave it to other people. They published it. Now, they knew it was classified information. They knew that, in this case, Ellsberg had stolen it, but they, this is the press, the press didn't sit, didn't steal it. So the deal was, okay, yes, we know this is classified, we know it's stolen, but we didn't we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't do anything wrong in getting it. So they published it. Government tried to shut them down from doing that. And the Supreme Court said, no, no, no. As long as you didn't steal it yourself, you know, you, you just came into it. You Freedom of the press allows you to publish this. Ellsberg is in trouble for stealing it. But you, media, you get to publish this stuff. So, you know, as long as you didn't steal it yourself, it, it's fair game. You get to do this. And you've seen this play out in a couple different occasions. You know, a couple years ago, you will remember that there was a situation where MSNBC was touting the fact that they had gotten a copy of Donald Trump's tax returns from like 2007 or 2008. Remember all the attention and all the publicity that that ended up getting? And, and they went on the air and, and they put it there. Even though these tax returns had been illegally obtained by someone, And the reporter said, hey, I found these in my mailbox. And so as long as the reporter didn't do anything, freedom of the press allows the press to go ahead and publish this stuff. All right. So that brings us to this whole WikiLeaks thing. And you have the guy, Julian Assange, who is the guy that runs WikiLeaks. He's always styled himself as a journalist, but he's really he's kind of a social activist as well. 
So what happens with the WikiLeaks thing is you have Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning, who is the low-level intelligence officer who decides he, he, now she, going through a sex change, doesn't like the way the government is conducting the war in Iraq. So he accesses all this classified government information about the war in Iraq and then takes all these files and gives it to Julian Assange, who then publishes it on on WikiLeaks. All right. That's the background. Manning, of course, you know, is is tried court martialed for what he did for accessing all this confidential, this classified information. He now a she was sentenced to 30 years in military confinement. Uh, President Obama commuted that sentence after seven years, all right? But now you have Assange. This is the publisher, the guy that made it public. And he's making the argument, well, wait, I'm, I'm like the New York Times and I'm like the Washington Post. I published this stuff that Manning gave me. Now, the difference, according to the indictment, is that Assange wasn't like a guy who suddenly got the Pentagon Papers dropped off in his mailbox. They allege that Assange worked with Manning to help, like, crack the computer codes to hack into this classified information. In other words, the parallel would be, all right, if I am going to burglarize Roadkill's apartment, and he lives on the second floor, and you come out and hold the ladder while I'm going up to get into the second floor. Okay, that you're not just this innocent participant. You're not just this innocent person trying to promote a freedom of the press. You're actually helping me break in. So the government is essentially alleging that Assange, by helping Manning crack this code and hack into the classified documents, he was the guy essentially holding the ladder for the burglar who went up to break into the apartment, even though he didn't go into the apartment. So I was, I I can't tell you, I probably have in my hands right now about a half a dozen stories all over the media from some people arguing, oh my gosh, this is a blow to the First Amendment. Here you have the government trying to shut down a journalist and other people saying, Forget that, including like the editorial board of the Washington Post saying, hey, the, you know, Julian Assange, he, he's not he's not a defender of the First Amendment. He is a thief. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's that's as basic as I can kind of explain what's going on here. But my general reaction to this is, of course, Julian Assange should be prosecuted if, in fact, he did as the evidence and indictment suggests, help Chelsea Manning break into the classified information to obtain it, well, then then he committed a crime. And the fact that he might be a journalist and he might have published it elsewhere doesn't matter. You know, reporters for the Milwaukee Journal, all right, if somebody drops off classified information, you know, do they have a right to publish it? Yes, but they don't have a right to go out and break into somebody's office to get that information that they then publish. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Assange a hero or a villain? Should the government be going after him? Does this endanger the free press, or is this just a way of keeping some out-of-control criminal elements in line. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
glad to have you with us. All right, here's one of our texts. Jeff, Julian Assange inflicted significant damage to our intelligence community, not to mention endangering agents and military personnel with his leaks. The press and U.S. citizens may must see the big picture. He needs to face justice when the Brits are done with him. Yes. I mean, see, here's here's the thing. This is not the Pentagon Papers. This is not about freedom of the press. Actually, I think the prosecutors have been absolutely brilliant in the way they have approached this case. They didn't charge Assange with treason or with espionage. All right. They, they didn't because that then opens, at least they haven't so far, because that then opens up the door about, all right, you know, if if other news outlets, you know, publish classified information that they've come into contact with, like the Pentagon paper sort of thing, if other newspaper outlets, you know, publish this stuff, are they then going to be guilty of espionage? espionage? And whether you think the Pentagon Papers case was rightfully decided or not, that, that is the law of the lands that stands right now. But the prosecutors didn't do that. That they, they crafted a much more narrow charge. They said, okay, we're not going to go after you for publishing the stuff on WikiLeaks. Now, the whole other question is whether WikiLeaks is 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 that like a newspaper? Is that like a radio station? Is that like a TV station? I mean, WikiLeaks, it's not like they do anything to independently verify stuff. They just get documents and they dump them out on the Internet. So there, there's that whole issue about whether WikiLeaks, is it a news outlet, a legitimate news outlet like, say, you know, others that are out there, the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever. But by charging this case like they did, you don't have to get into that. They said, okay, here, here's the here's the deal. You know, regardless of what you might have done with them afterwards, you're a conspirator. You know, you have no legal right to decide to, uh, again, in this case, help Chelsea Manning break into the U.S. computer system, hack into the computer system. That's a specific federal crime, just like a you know, a reporter for today's TMJ4 or the Milwaukee Journal or the Washington Post has no right to go over to, I don't know, a, a, a house and say, gee, I'm kind of curious about, I'm kind of curious about, um, you know, how much that person paid in taxes. Here, let's break into the house together and let's see if we could get a copy of their tax returns. Okay, well, you don't have a right to break into somebody's house. That is essentially what Assange did. And it's what he's being charged with. And and you know what? I think the prosecution, the charging element was brilliant. And I think they need to prosecute the guy. So whenever you pick up a copy of a newspaper over this weekend, or if you turn on one of the talking head shows between the baseball games and the basketball games and the Masters Golf Tournament, and you hear some bleeding heart talking about how this is endangering the First Amendment and how uh, Assange is this, oh, Julian Assange is this, you know, First Amendment uh, guru and, and how, how terrible this is. Just remember, what the guy is, is he's a common garden variety thief. It's not about disseminating the information. It's about stealing the stuff in the first place. That's what he's been charged with. That's what he will be convicted of. And that's what he's going to do time for. And that's the right result of all this. And that's what you need to keep in mind. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. W277CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. 
This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Coming up in about 10 minutes, does Father Always Know Best? It's an interesting discussion. And then a little bit later on in the next hour, I'm going to ask a provocative question about how young is too young. Stick around for that. There is a story out of Shorewood High School that it's one of these things that you wish the person who was the subject of the story was, was answering phone calls and talking because... It's almost like there has to be something else, but but unless she tells us what that is, you you don't know. All right, this it's it involves a gym teacher who has been there for forever, like thirty years at Shorewood Intermediate School, and according to a letter that the school superintendent sent home to parents last week, said what what happened. This apparently happened on April first, although I don't think this was an April Fool's joke. Gym teacher teaching seventh grade students about games from around the world, okay? As part of the class, the teacher allegedly suggested to the African-American students that they should research games that had been played by slaves, according to, to the letter. All right, so she, like, separates the kids by race, allegedly, and says to the black kids, here, okay, the the white kids, I I want you to go to research these sorts of games, and says to the black kids, here, I I want you to research games involved that were played by slaves. Okay, now, no explanation for that, and then a, a couple of the kids, understandably, they go home and they tell their parents, you know, we were, you know, it wasn't like they were, investigating or it wasn't like they were researching games that were played during the Civil War or or even that as a class they were studying, you know, games that were prominent during slavery. The allegations are the teacher, who, like I say, has, has apparently been there for decades, singled out the black kids and sent them off to study to, to study games that are played by, by slaves during the Civil War. And a number of the African-American kids go home and they say, we feel uncomfortable about this, about, you know, again, being singled out in this fashion. I, I guess my reaction to the story, and a number of media outlets are trying to contract that contact the teacher who's apparently been suspended with pay while Shorewood tries to investigate exactly what happened here. And there are reports that maybe something similar to this like happened last year. I don't know any of that, but it's one of those where I read the story and I keep thinking there's got to be something else here because why would somebody who had been a gym teacher for decades suddenly decide that, okay, this is this is what we're going to do, and we're going to separate the kids by race, and we're going to assign the black kids to do one thing, and we're going to assign the white kids to do another. In, in I'm not sure I was going to say in today's day and age, but at any time, why would you do that? So again, I read this story, and I hear about the story, and I keep thinking, I, uh, did this really happen? You know, what, what was the purpose that the teacher was trying to do? Is this being misstated in the media? Did the kids misunderstand? And I keep thinking, I, I sure hope that's the case, because you've got some of the parents that are calling on the teacher to be to be fired for, for doing this. I would love to hear the teacher's explanation for what really happened if something different than what the kids say happened happened, because that's always possible, and, and what the thought process was. Stay tuned. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Did she say rain and snow for Sunday? Yeah. 
Rain and snow for Sunday. Okay, we'll let that hang out there. All right, Eric, you, um, you, well, your, your, your kids aren't aren't adults no. yet, but I mean, I, I would assume that being the good father that you are, that occasionally you offer financial advice to them, even at a young age, saying, oh, yeah. you know, you know, like, hey, you know, don't, you know, if if you want to buy that, you know, it's got to come out of your own money, and then mm-hmm. you're not going to have it, stuff oh, like that, yeah, right? All the time, we just opened up uh, some savings accounts for them, and what I often say is, hey, you want to go to the Brewers game and buy something? Okay, bring some money. All and right, then so, you can buy some. Right, so it's got to be that. Now, I understand that it's tough to imagine, but let let's say you're looking into your crystal ball. Do you imagine once your kids are, are grown up, do you imagine that you'll you'll still kind of offer financial suggestions from time to oh, time? I'm sure I will. <laughs> right, right. It's, Right. And and if they're smart, they'll listen because father knows best, right? Of course. All right. Well, with that backdrop, let me tell you, this is my favorite story of the day. Peloton bikes. Uh, Before you leave, Eric, do you know what a Peloton bike is? No. Okay. Well, you you might have seen these things advertised. They're they're essentially stationary bikes. Uh, You know, so just imagine like an exercise bike that you jump on at the gym, except... These are kind of these fancy, trendy things. They have a touchscreen monitor that it's that is attached to them. And what happens is, when you get a bike, you also get a, a third. They're they're all, they're wired like to the internet, and you get a thirty nine dollar cost you forty bucks a month. And what happens is, you get exercise videos. And so when you get on the bike, you can stream like 10,000 live and on-demand classes. So you're, you're not just on the, the regular exercise bike. You're hooked up to the Internet, and so you mm-hmm. can watch people here and, and give you encouragement, stuff like that. So it, it's, but it's, at the end of the day, it's a stationary bike right. is what this is. All right, so here is the story. Gal in New York, she's in her mid-30s. She lives in Brooklyn, and she tells her mom— Oh, by the way, let me mention, these Peloton bikes, $2,200. They're, they're not bikes. I mean, they're, it's not like you go riding. They're, they're stationary bikes, $2,200 um, with a touchscreen monitor, and that's on top of the $39 a month monthly subscription. So, you know, you add another, like, four or five. Four or five hundred dollars for that that first year in. So you're talking about twenty six, twenty seven dollars. And did I mention it's a stationary bike? So anyhow, this gal, she's in her mid thirties. She lives in Brooklyn. She tells her mother that she's considering buying a Peloton. All right. Within like a couple minutes later, she gets an email from dad. Right here is dad's email to his thirty something year old daughter. I had heard of the Peloton. And concluded that, like the use of cocaine, it's another way of God saying people have too much money. I use that phrase, too. That's an old Robin Williams joke. His line is, you know, cocaine is God's way of telling you you have too much money. So anyhow, this is how the dad starts out the email. I'd heard of the Peloton and concluded that, like the use of cocaine, it's another way of God saying people have too much money. It is a ridiculous amount of money for such a basic concept as riding a stationary bike. You can ride a bike you own for as long as you want and cut the inevitable boredom factor by listening to podcasts or watching TV or clips of waves on sand. The idea of looking at a screen while some cycling pro broadcasts encouragement is preposterous. Okay, so then he goes on to, um, okay, is is preposterous. Then he goes on uh, to essentially say, I would implore you 
not to waste precious after-tax income on this latest attempt to encourage social strivers to show that they live at a more rarefied level than the proletariat. <laughs> you know, I, I just I just love it. In other words, this is really really stupid money. You know, who in their right mind would dump 2200 bucks plus the the subscription for this? So he he sends it off to the to his daughter. His daughter is either amused or hacked off or whatever. So his daughter then posts this on on social media. I was considering buying this bike. Look what I what my dad said about this. And it is now opened the floodgates for is this a helicopter parent? She's 30 some years old. She's not asking for money to buy the bike. Should dad be even weighing into this? Does dad know what he's talking about? Isn't this the thing that just everybody has to have to exercise? Or the flip side is, all right, is, is maybe dad just being a good father and saying, honey, you know, you're, you're talking about spending a couple grand for what is essentially a glorified stationary exercise bike. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Was dad out of line in trying to offer his unsolicited input to his 30-something-year-old daughter? Or, I mean, is, is dad just one of these helicopter parents who can't let go? Or is dad within his right saying, this is a ton of money. Have you lost your mind? 414-799-1620. The Internet is a buzz. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. By the way, I mentioned this at the start of the show. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 got one of my favorite photos up. It's me and my... It's me and my puppy, uh, Sasha. I talk about her a lot on the radio. Um, yesterday was National Pet Day. I didn't put the photograph up yesterday because Sasha doesn't think she's a pet, and I agree. But if you want to see Dad, Daddy and Doggy together, follow me at Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Speaking of, speaking of dads, this is the story. Um, it's going viral. The dad reaches out to his 30-something-year-old daughter and says, Hey, hey, don't drop all this money on the stationary bike. Have you lost your mind? And she's like, look what my dad is telling me. I'm 30-some years old. Janelle on the east side. Janelle, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, I think this is a great example of the pot calling the kettle black. How notorious are dads for buying stuff they don't need, whether it's motorcycles or snowmobiles or golf clubs or whatever? As long as she's not asking for money, it's like... Come on, Dad. Well, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because when you were going through the list, I was thinking of golf clubs. I'm like, all right, I'm thinking about all the money that I have dropped on golf clubs over the years. And and, and did I need them? No. (laughs) No. So, okay. But all right. But at the same time, I mean, the dad is the dad. If, If he thinks that she's about ready to really just make a stupid, unnecessary purchase, does he have the right to kind of wade in and say, don't do this, dear? Oh, sure. I think that he has a right to probably gently make a suggestion, <laughs> but you uh, reading his little email to her, right. I mean, it, it it's a bit much. He's being pretty dramatic, and I'm sure that she'd have plenty of examples right. to throw back at him of right. buying stuff that was 
little bit silly. Gee, Dad, remember when I was in college and you bought that 1968 Mustang for X amount of dollars that you then spent all that time restoring? Uh, so what you're saying exactly. is people who, people who live in glass houses, and your guess is Dad is in a glass house, huh? Uh, I think most people's dads are. <laughs> okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, was the dad out of line in sending this particular message? And, of course, the related question is, I mean, d- does Dad have a point? Now, I, I never tell people how to spend their own money. I, I will say $2,200 for a, what is essentially a glorified exercise bike does strike me as being, well, kind of a, a bit dumb. But I, I but to the point of our first caller, I, I'm <laughs> Janelle's point, I'm not sure I necessarily want people scrutinizing all the silly things that I've purchased money on. I, I I bought a racing greyhound once. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Since I looked online and I didn't think this was much different from an exercise bike that you could get for 100 or $200 while watching Netflix, I think right. this is just a just a big status symbol. Right. And I think, I suspect that that if she, this girl does not get the get the bike, that she'll call her dad uh, a few years later and, and actually thank him for this. Well, yeah, that. I mean, I guess I was, and again, I, if we accept the premise, Jeff, that we're not going to tell other people how to spend their money, I was trying to figure out what about this makes it worth $2,200. You get a regular stationary bike, you park yourself in front of a TV set with a DVR, and and if you need to, you, you buy a handful of exercise videos, and boom, you're off to the races. Yeah, well, I suspect that they've used the, ju- the flat screen to justify that, but they should just get a get another bike or go my route and just get a jump rope. That's even cheaper. <laughs> Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Jeremy. I'm actually going through this very same conversation with my old man. Okay. Uh, just last weekend we were golfing, and I'm talking about getting fitted. Uh, they got a new place out in Brookfield. Right. Uh, you get a fitting for 350 whole bag, nine yards. And, and then I'm looking at these pings. Ping golf clubs. Okay, I play oh, pings yeah, yeah. too. Yep, I know. Yeah. I'm with you. Ping are very nice. They're reliable. If you break them, they actually maintain the molds for years and years to come. So they're all, they're expensive, but they're worth their weight in gold for me. He doesn't like that because he's, he's a hardcore clone guy. Okay. So you'll look at the clone for ping, and you'll be like, that's half the price. So we'll go back and forth uh, <laughs> all day long, all throughout the whole round about it. At the end of the day, we, we end up just stop talking about it because <laughs> <laughs> it gets a little annoying. Okay, so, so here's my question, Jeremy. Are you going to pull the trigger and buy the pings? Absolutely, I am. <laughs> and your and, and your dad will. This will be the this will be the bone that your dad will chew on until you're ready for another set of golf clubs, huh? I just can't wait to see a look on his face when <laughs> I hit the course with a new club. I I no th- thanks to call. I I I under I understand completely. And that was the example again when Janelle was talking about golf clubs because I happen to play ping golf clubs. Well, they're not they're not the most and. and Look, I, I, you, you keep thinking that you know golf clubs are going to make a difference in the world of golf. It, it's the, when you buy drivers, you want to talk about what they charge stupid money for. It, it's drivers. It, it's just absolutely stupid money. You're you're embarrassed to go out and buy a new driver, but it's like, well, okay, I. You, everybody thinks it's going to like change their game and stuff. And you know, at the end of the day, for, for most of us, or at least for for me, when it comes to golf, it's 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 not the nail; it's the hammer. You know, and it's and I'm 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 kind of the hammer and that's not going to change you know it's not that the nail went bad but it, it's it's one of these interesting things about you know how, how do you draw this line I, I thought this story was funny because the bottom line is 
dads are going to be dads. And I, I think, you know, dads are always going to offer their opinions. And candidly, I think dad has every right to offer his opinion. And as long as she's paying for the thing out of her own money, I would say, you know, go ahead and do this. But understand that you run a risk when you do that, the dad is never going to forget about that. Because when you go over that to the gal's house, you know, six months from now, and she's using that $2,200 exercise bike as a clothes horse, you know the dad is going to be giving you a big, I told you so. I lived this. I told this story a couple times before over the last 20 years, so if you heard it, I apologize. But back when, back when Greyhound Racing first came to Wisconsin, my brother got a buddy of mine and I together. And actually, my brother was the driving force of this, and we each put in $1,000, and we bought a racing Greyhound. We were going to own this racing Greyhound, and the Greyhound was going to run at these tracks. It was going to make all sorts of money, and we'd all be rich, and we'd have fun and all this type of stuff. My my late wife was skeptical, needless to say, of this because you know this was a thousand bucks, and this you know we a thousand bucks. We didn't really have a thousand bucks, but I wanted to do it. So okay, so I I went along with this, and then as might have been predictable, the the greyhound race it really didn't work out very well, and the the dog wasn't ready. It was actually fast, but it was dumb. It didn't get the idea that it was supposed to be chasing the bunny, and and ultimately never made the track, and ultimately got you know adopted out and all that type of stuff. But the thousand dollars was gone through. It just it was just gone. I mean, it lost that. So that particular decision, and this is might be what happens to the, this gal, you know, if she goes ahead with this, that particular decision, it, it didn't just cost me $1,000. I'm convinced it probably cost me over the next five to 10 years, fifteen or $20,000. Here's why. Because every time my wife after that wanted to make a sketchy or ske- a purchase that I was skeptical of, like I would say, Huh, do we really need to spend X amount? Do we really need to spend $2,500 for that couch? Every time I would say that, she would look at me and say, I'm not the guy that spent $1,000 on the dog. And there was no response. There was absolutely nothing you could say except, you got a point, dear. Here, let's pull out the checkbook. So, you, <laughs> true story. You got to be careful with that stuff. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back, so very glad to have you with us. Coming up in about 10 minutes, I I call the story, How Young is Too Young? It's going to be a very, very interesting conversation. Before that, I I don't mean to be the you-know-what in the punch bowl on this story, but I've got to just send this cautionary note because there's all these stories in the press that, candidly, I I think they are in la-la land. Now, I'm one of these guys that remembers the old Midwest Express Airlines. Midwest Express Airlines started, Kimberly Clark started them, and they became this great regional airline. I used to, back in the day, I used to have to go to Washington, D.C. a lot for business. They had a flight that left early in the morning. They, they served you breakfast. It was leather seats. It was like four across. They'd serve you breakfast. You could have champagne if you wanted. Then they had a flight back from uh, D.C. at night. All the politicians took it. You could get steak. You could get lobster on the thing. They'd serve it to you. Again, the, the four across seating, so you're sitting in these seats. It was just the greatest thing in the world. 
Well, they couldn't make a go of it, ultimately. The airline industry and rising fuel costs and stuff, it, it just, first of all, they kind of, they changed the name from Midwest Express to Midwest, and then ultimately the airline got, got bought out by Frontier, which is kind of like the trailways of the sky now. I mean, Frontier Airlines is kind of one step ahead of, of Greyhound. And and so, and Midwest has disappeared. So there's been this, this conversation about, here, we're, we're going to bring Midwest back, and they've been talking about it for a while, and it, it really has been kind of spinning its wheels. And I know that there's people who think, oh, this is going to be great. They're going to bring back the chocolate chip cookies and all and that. And the report this week with no critical analysis at all was that Midwest Express Airlines, well, they're they're renting space down at the airport now, um, and it's going to be the corporate headquarters. Okay. Um, If you look at the economics of the airline industry, there's not too many people that are starting airlines anymore. It's very expensive. You need somebody with incredibly deep pockets to be able to do that. And I understand we all have this love affair with the old Midwest Express, and all these people are excited. Oh, maybe it's coming back. All I am saying, and again, I, I don't mean to be the guy that pours cold water on this, but I will believe this whole thing when I see it. And even with this iteration of Midwest Express, there's been, oh, we're going to get this going and that going, and and nothing's really ever happened. I All I'm saying is just color me skeptical on this one. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. My uh, my oldest granddaughter is a freshman in college, in high school. High school. And for the last number of years, she plays volleyball. And, and she's a good volleyball player. She plays on these club-level teams. So she, you know, she made the high school freshman girls volleyball team. But that's a sport that's in the fall and during the, the winter and into the spring. You know, she plays club volleyball. So we go to the matches from time to time. And she's been doing this for a, a number of years. I mean, she started several years ago. And I, there's a lot of volleyball parents that are out there. You know, maybe you're, you're one of them or volleyball grandparents. You know, the, these big activities. It, it's a big deal. And so you go and you watch some of these kids play. And I, I'm always one of these big believers that, you know, they're, they're, they're kids. You don't want to get too invested and involved in, like, yelling at them or giving them tips or things like that. Some parents, you know, are, are different. But you watch these different kids play, and it's apparent that, you know, some kids are better than others. I mean, if they're playing at the club level, they're, they're all good, but there's some that are better than others, and there's some that you kind of watch and you say, okay, this this is, I hope they're having fun. There's others that you watch and you say, oh, this is really a good kid. This is a good player. You know, maybe there's a chance that, you know, she could go on and play in college or something like that. Which brings me to the story of an eighth grade girl. Her name is Sage Damro, and she plays volleyball for her grade school team in Howard's Grove. She also plays on on various club-level teams, and she's been playing for years and years. And she is apparently a very, very good player. This kid is one of the potential superstars. I bring this up because she has committed to play volleyball. Now, did I mention she's in eighth grade? She has committed to play volleyball for the University of Wisconsin. She's been offered a college scholarship at eighth grade, all right? Apparently, 
UW is not the first school that has offered her a scholarship. The first scholarship offer she got was from Illinois. She got a scholarship offer from Minnesota. She's gotten a scholarship offer from UW, and apparently there was other teams that have been following her for years. Matter of fact, her father says that, well, he didn't think UW started watching her until she was in seventh grade. He says, I don't know how you can say it, but they were almost late to a seventh grader. And he says, you know, there's been high school coaches, I mean, college coaches, who've been watching his daughter play play volleyball for, you know, the last several years. And so now she's committed to go to UW. Now, the NCAA is a little bit concerned with this, and they're saying, you know, we have issues with all these college coaches going out and actively having contact and recruiting, you know, these kids that are this young. You know, what are you when you're in eighth grade? You know, maybe, you know, what, perhaps 14, perhaps in 12, 13, 14, you know, whatever that is. So the NCAA is considering a rule which says, all right, no early recruiting. College coaches not allowed to have contact with potential players until their junior year of high school. So in other words, you could track the players, you know, you could watch them, you could decide who you want to, you know, reach out and try to have contact with, but you can't go after the fifth graders and the sixth graders and the seventh graders and the eighth graders. You have to wait until after their sophomore year in college. The argument being these kids are, are are just too young. They're not, even with the help of their parents, they're not able to make these decisions. Lots of stuff might change. And, all right, do you really want prep sports like this to become this kind of industry? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the example I'm giving you is this gal who plays volleyball. I know that there's probably other examples, uh, basketball being the most noted one. I mean, I have no doubt that there are college coaches all over the country that are attending the, these club-level you know, basketball tournaments and are watching and are trying to get commitments from kids 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade um, so that you can just bypass the whole need to recruit in college. But here is my question. Is this too young? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does the NCAA need to pass a rule? And apparently it's getting serious consideration. A lot of people think it's going to go through that says no contact with prospective athletes or their families until essentially they're juniors in high school, that you don't need to be recruiting 6th and 7th and 8th graders. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a good idea? Or, hey, if the kid the kid wants to go to UW, um, can she make that commitment in 7th or 8th grade and try to foreclose other people from recruiting? And um, I guess the other question would be, what happens if, Lord forbid, you know, she hurts herself somehow, blows out a knee? You know, what if UW decides to walk away? All right, is this a good idea to have college coaches essentially going after 7th and 8th graders? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What does this do to the whole idea of, of junior sports? When we come back... 
we will discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. And by the way, I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. But I'm curious, you know, th- does it matter? I mean, if the parents are happy with this, who, should we not care if the, she wants to commit to where she's going to college in eighth grade? Do we not mind having college coaches sniffing around seventh graders? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Also, we've got the tornado warning test coming up in just a minute as well. Uh, this is Jeff Wagner. <laughs> Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Okay, Eric Billstadt. Before we go to the phones, we're waiting for this is a test of the tornado warning system. Right. So they do this every year. It's twice. Once at one forty five and once at six forty five, where they do a statewide tornado warning drill. Now it's supposed to come down fifteen seconds ago. Right. <laughs> That's just it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what usually happens? Twenty seconds ago. You start to hear the sirens go and all that stuff. And all I right, think here we sometimes. Go. Oh, are we good now? So this is our warning drill from the emergency alert system. Okay, there, there we go. Now the interesting, if we think, if we pull back the curtains that the that went out over the air, but it, I couldn't, that didn't go through my earphones and stuff. That's okay. Important thing is that everybody else knows that there's a tornado warning. I can, I, I, if it happened, that was a test. There wasn't a real tornado warning. It was a test. Test worked out. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Story: um, This eighth grade girl out of Howard's Grove has apparently been recruited by a number of Big Ten teams. She's agreed to accept a scholarship to go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She says her dream has always been to be a Badger. They apparently started recruiting her when she was in seventh grade. Other schools apparently started recruiting her even earlier. The NCAA is getting ready to pass a rule that says this is too young, no contact with these athletes until they become high school juniors. All right. What do you think? 414-799-1620. Eddie in Franklin. Eddie, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Love sure. the show. Thank you. Uh, you know, I definitely am against them doing this for sports and, and, and trying to get that star athlete you know, out of the mix. How about they do this for academics? You know, I mean, it's like we've got so many kids. You know, Milwaukee is a good example of that, you know, with poor graduation rate that, uh, you know, are just not getting enough info in college and whatever and dropping out. You know, if they were to pursue kids that actively – and try to find the next president or the next astronaut or the next great doctor, uh, I think that would be much better. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just, look, I I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that she's really, really talented. And, you know, I mean, who knows what can happen over the next couple of years. Hopefully she will be able to continue to grow and develop, and she'll be even more talented. But what's the harm in, in waiting to recruit her until after she's gotten two years of, of high school in? Exactly. Tell you, right, so, I mean, right now going in. I mean, this, life, yeah, life changes. You know, I mean, these kids are at, at that young of an age, yeah, you know, you all want to, some of them want to be the next great movie star, but when they get older, maybe something changes. Maybe they decide, you know what, I just want to be a veterinarian. Well, well right, you know? yeah, right. Thanks, Nicole. Or I want to be a volleyball player and a veterinarian. I mean, there's nothing that says that can't happen. But I guess what what kind of bothers me is the idea that, you know, again, you, you, you have, we, we look at all these recruiting scandals that are out there now and all these agents and all this stuff that's involved and, 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 do we really want it on the on the middle school level? I mean, and I guess I am I surprised? No, because I see all the people that show up. You know, when I've been going to these different you know, volleyball tournaments over the last couple of years, and you see all these people. But the idea that you've got college coaches that are there to make contact with like sixth graders and seventh graders. I mean, can't you just? 
I don't know, figure out a way to just just wait a little bit. Mark in Caledonia. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Mark. Well, thank you. What do you think? I think that they should be kids. Uh, Let them be kids and enjoy the sport because I think parents are getting too overhyped also in this, and it's causing fights. You see it at wrestling tournaments. You see it at basketball tournaments. It's just fights against the parents because, one, if they're kids, they're not playing on yep. uh, something like that. Well, no. See, I, I'm glad you called, Mark, because you make a really, really good point. The, the idea that, you know, we, we all say, okay, we, we don't want these parents that are all involved in this and just let the coaches coach and all that type of stuff. But I, you, you see, this is the flip side. If, if you've got a seventh grade girls volleyball tournament and the word gets out that, oh, there's a coach from Illinois and there's a coach from Wisconsin and there's a coach from Minnesota out there. All that does is encourage exactly what you're talking about because, oh, you got to play my kid or you got to put her in this position or that position because, it, you know, this this coach is there and if she doesn't get a chance to do this, you know, she's not going to get noticed. All right, do, do we really need that at the seventh grade level? And I'm with you. My answer would be no. Exactly. No, not, not right. at all. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, thanks for your call. And it's, and it's not to say that coaches can't go out and, you know, make notes of, of kids and, and understand. I mean, I remember years and years ago, we were talking about a, a variation of this topic a long time ago. It was back when Tom Crean was the coach of uh, the Marquette men's basketball team. And actually, he called in because we were discussing a variation of this. And he said, look, here's the thing with recruiting. If I don't know about a kid by sixth grade, I'm behind. I mean, because that, and that this was this was high school basketball. He said, because there, we start tracking these kids in fourth and fifth grade, maybe sometimes even younger. Younger. You know, we start tracking them and watching their, their progress. And I guess my question would be, do you really need to do that? Now, look, nobody is saying that I guess can't, coaches wouldn't be able to go out and watch these games and stuff and have an idea as to who it is that they think that they're going to want to try to go after. But, you know, do you really need to be contacting them that soon and, and offering scholarships to kids that young? Here's a text. Jeff, totally agree with an NCAA, NCAA making a rule of no contact till the junior year of high school. Anyone younger than that is simply too young to be making uh, those decisions. Um Here's Heather. Sports specialization happens way too early these days, which increases the risk of injury. I bet she can't play high school basketball or run track if she wants. Well, I don't know about that. And again, I, I don't fault, I don't fault the, the, the kid for making this decision. If, if she wants to be a Wisconsin Badger and, and she's got this opportunity, I get it. But I'm talking about, you know, big picture going to these different events. Do, do you really need to do it? All right. I got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to this young lady's father. So stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. W277CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. We've been talking about this obviously very gifted, um, actually, grade school volleyball player who's been getting college scholarships offers since she was in seventh grade. The story is UW-Madison has offered her a scholarship, and she's committed to go there. She is in eighth grade. The NCAA is thinking of passing a rule that would say no contact with with players until their junior year in college. We're now joined by Brett, who is the uh, the father of Sage Damro. Good, Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Very well, thank you. Okay, your daughter, you must be very proud of her. She sounds like she is a very gifted player. Yeah, um, I don't like to use the word gifted. I mean, all these all these young kids, the prodigies, however you want to say it, they just work very hard at their craft, whether it's a math, person in math, whether it's art, music, um, volleyball, basketball, they just work hard. But, yeah, it's a, 
it's a great moment um, for her. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to call in because I heard a lot of people talking about it. Sure. Well, let me ask you the big picture because the, I mean, she started receiving scholarships uh, back when she was in seventh grade, right? Correct. Correct. She did do that Her um, after she visited a couple camps that she went to. She went to five different camps in the summer last year. And then after that, she did receive a couple of those offers. Okay, now this is obvious, and I, 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 you know, I, I understand it's great for it's great for your daughter. I guess big picture, though, do you think it is a good thing to have college coaches that are making contact with, essentially, with either grade school or with middle school players? Is is that too young as a general rule? Well, you're correct. What what I want to say is, it is not a normal rule. It right. usually does not happen. Right. It might only happen to two, three, four, or five girls in the country at that age. And the University of Wisconsin, honestly, was against it. And what they just wanted to make sure that Sage knew is, hey, we really like you. We just don't want you to commit right now um, because it won't be good for you in the setting, meaning that people will say, oh, we have a seventh grader committing. Um, and when the Badgers actually asked me, because I've been coaching now for 17 years, and they've recruited a couple of different athletes that I've coached, and they said, what is too young? And what I said to them is, when you've been in an area – with a great university, academic and sports, mm-hmm. and they're, they're top in their sports, in all of their sports, they're top 20. It's, it's a somewhat easy decision for a kid. Now, sure. if a kid wants to go to um, Arkansas or they want to go to Stanford or something like that in eighth grade, you don't, you don't know that. Right. Um, and this was, you know, asking for my daughter's opinion. She <laughs> said to me, you know, I still now with coaching high school for 17 years, I have girls that come to me as juniors, and they're, they're really nervous about choosing a college. Right. They don't know. So it's one of those things. I, the the colleges that reach out, they don't pressure you. They don't. I was, uh, you know, very fortunate to speak with many of them, being a coach, and they they have no zero pressure. They just say, "Hey, we're interested." As a parent, if I don't want to share the emails with Sage or with my daughter, you don't have to. So it is not coming pressure from the college coaches. They don't. They don't put pressure on you. Well, I guess I guess my question would be if this becomes more of the norm, and I understand that your 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 daughter is a special case. I get that. If, if this becomes more of the norm, whether it's in volleyball or basketball or whatever, I mean, is it a good idea to have college coaches attending the games of sixth graders and seventh graders or eighth graders? Are, are most people going to be old enough and mature enough to deal with that? No, no, probably not. Not at that age. But again, that doesn't happen very rarely. Mm-hmm. It really starts when they're a freshman in high school. How do you um, feel about this? Everybody tells me that they think the NCAA is likely to pass this rule that would limit contact until after the sophomore year. How do you feel about that? Well, I have mixed opinions. I just speak to my daughter who's going through the process. She didn't. She would not like that because she <laughs> sure. got a very good opportunity to right. learn. She had, I mean, she probably had 20 conversations over the year on the phone, you know, of an hour length with coaches getting to know them. And she gets to make a full decision on what she likes and doesn't like. And could that change? Sure. I mean, anything changes in life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I, I like the freshman year. I like that thing. I just don't. My opinion is the whole world is why limit the ki- everybody. Let the parents make decisions. Hopefully they make well-informed, good decisions. And I understand that, you know, I've been fortunate to be around the sport and right. sports and coaching. So I kind of hid some things from her because she didn't need to know certain things. Right. Yeah, um, and I guess the question becomes, would everybody, would all the parents be as involved and engaged as it sounds like you were? Yeah, that's a hard one. It's, it's you know, the process was kind of different at times. And we just got to sit back and 
just somewhat enjoy it to a point sure. but then just not get overwhelmed by it. Um, Good enough. And I said, well, I wish you the best of luck. And I, I, Brett, I really do appreciate you calling in and offering your insight. And you should be, you obviously are very proud of your daughter. It's, it, well, re- regardless of whether they pass the NCAA rule or not, it, it's, it's clearly a testament to the, the quality of, of a volleyball player your daughter is. Well, greatly, greatly appreciate it, and thank you, and hopefully uh, she has a great career, but she's got a lot of work to do before she gets there. <laughs> great. Thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. And you can decide for yourself. I I mean, it sounds like he's a very involved father and, and all. I, I stand by my original statement. I think, I, I think in general, sometimes any individual case notwithstanding, I, I think we're as a general rule, I think it's good to let kids be kids, and I think if the NCAA passes this rule, it'll be a good thing. We're back with more in just a minute. The news is coming up. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. I really appreciate Brett Damro joining us. The, he's the dad of the Young gal, the eighth grader, who's been offered a college scholarship to UW, and I appreciate his input. I know he's very proud of his daughter, and I, it sounds like he's a guy that really, you know, has has his head screwed on correctly, and you have a situation where the, the daughter has grown up wanting to be a Wisconsin Badger, and that that's all, all well and good, and he should be very proud of her. I, I just think, as a general rule, I, I think the NCAA – saying, okay, maybe we, we don't want, we want to limit contact between college coaches and recruiting. We don't want it to start till after the junior year in high school. I think as a general rule, I think that's probably, and I continue to believe, a good thing. Because my guess is if you have in various sports, if you have them reaching out and trying to recruit kids in sixth and seventh and eighth grade, a lot of times you're not going to have the parents that seem like there is – I don't know that they have their heads screwed on as straight as perhaps Mr. Damro does. I just I think I think there's a time for everything and candidly I think the NCAA is going to pass this rule and I think it will ultimately end up being a good thing. Just saying. Um for overall for for sports, um especially for interscholastic athletics. All right, let us switch gear. We got Pop Culture Corner coming up in about 20 minutes. Before that, I I want to talk to you about the latest development in the Jussie Smollett case. Everybody is familiar with the, the Jussie Smollett thing. He's the um, African-American gay actor um, on Empire. And, you know, what he did was on one of the coldest days of the year, January 29th in Chicago, he claimed that he was assaulted by two guys, two white men, wearing Make America Great hats who made a number of racist and homophobic comments to him, beat him up, um, put a noose around his neck. I mean, that remember, that, that was his story. And this is a story that captivated um, in the world. Oh, my gosh. I mean, here you have this. These are these, the, these racist Trump supporters that are out there, and look what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. And the Chicago police, I mean, took this extremely seriously conducted investigation um the investigation apparently they assigned more than two dozen officers that worked on this case because again it was an international story we've got to we've got to bring these people to justice etc and they did it even though 
there were questions from the very beginning about Smollett's story. But, you know, they, they did the investigation. The estimate was that these police officers worked over 1,800 hours of overtime on on the case. And that that overtime cost about $130,000. Well, as the investigation proceeded, everybody knows the story now, Smollett's story broke down. It turns out that... The, the the two people that were involved in the assault were uh, apparently hired by him. One was his personal trainer, and then it was the brother of the personal trainer. And, you know, long story short, everybody knows this by now, appears that it was something that was orchestrated by Smollett for whatever reason. He was charged with 16 felonies. The Cook County State's Attorney, which is the equivalent of the district attorney, has gotten all sorts of heat because she made the case go away. She essentially dropped the case. Um, He forfeited his bail money, $10,000 that he posted, and, you know, the world has gone on. Well, Chicago, the city of Chicago, not happy with this resolution. The police chief is outraged. The mayor was outraged. And Chicago is out a whole bunch of money. So what happened yesterday is the city of Chicago filed a lawsuit against Smollett seeking $130,000 to cover the cost of the police investigation into this hate crime uh, attack. The lawsuit accuses him of orchestrating a fake assault, repeatedly lying to members of the Chicago Police Department, and um, causing, uh, again, this expenditure of public money. And they want it back. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, on Smollett's side, you could argue, hey, that the prosecutor dropped the case. He forfeited his bail. Is it fair to go after him for the cost of the investigation? I mean, if they wanted that, should they have had to try him, get him found guilty, and then seek restitution that way? All right, that's one way to look at this that you have uh, just an out-of-control racist city that's still picking on Jussie Smollett. The flip side is, you know, regardless of what happened in the criminal proceedings, here's a guy that cost the city taxpayers a ton of money. So should Smollett have to pay? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Roadkill's lining up the calls. Let me tell you my take on this quickly before we take the break. My answer to the question of should he have to pay one hundred and thirty plus thousand dollars is not just yes, but heck yes. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Are we picking on poor Jesse Smollett, or should he be liable for the police costs? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Frank in Bayview. Frank, good afternoon. Jeff, thanks again. Love the show. Thank you, sir. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Trying my best to condense this. I've got a bunch to say, but um, I, I first told the producer that um, this harkens back to these kids in middle school and high school that pull the fire alarms for attention and whatnot. On the flip side, though, um, regardless of this guy's motives or intentions, this this thing could have got blown way out of hand, you know, similar to the riots that we've seen recently. You never know how the public in general is going to react to things like this. This guy... 
Potentially. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. quantify what maybe could have happened. Well, and, 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 and maybe still might happen, not necessarily physical violence, but there's a lot of people who still believe this guy, who still yeah. believe that this kind of stuff happened. And, and that's why I think, you know, Chicago, these Chicago officials say this this hoax dragged our reputation through the mud. And there's still people who think this kind of stuff happened. And and it didn't. <laughs> No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. 414-799-1620. I mean, th- this is this is the thing, and this is why it's, to me, it, it's such a big deal. It's also why it's so appalling that the case is at this stage. Jeff in Appleton. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Uh, so you said earlier before the break that you think, heck yes, that uh, Smollett should be responsible for paying the $130,000. Right. To me, uh, my, my bigger, that, that's the small part of it. What about the Cook County DA, and what about the reasoning, if in fact this actually happened the way you described it? Um, I'm much, much more outraged and concerned by the, by the Cook County DA's actions and why nothing's happening. That should be the story to me right now. Yeah, except, I mean, the, the problem is what what can possibly happen? I mean, I, it, it, I think... I think she gets voted out of office next time if she runs again. So, I mean, I think the, the voters are going to take it out on her. The thing is, I mean, she's an elected official and she gets to exercise her discretion. It is interesting to me. You know, she said, well, I, we didn't handle this case any differently than other cases. And, of course, that, that turns out to be untrue. I mean, the first example the newspaper down there found was two, two a couple from Minnesota who who come into town. They're in town six hours. They claim that they were victims of a robbery at the airport. They find the tape that shows that they didn't have suitcases or whatever, and they got charged with felonies. <laughs> this guy per- perpetrated this fraud for, you know, a week or two weeks or however long it went. But what do you think should happen to the Cook County District Attorney, State's Attorney? Well, I would certainly like to see a huge investigation. Yeah. I'd like to see it all over the news all the time, trying to understand what her, the motivation was. Why would she do this? If, if in fact the evidence is so so mm-hmm. intense that he he pulled this off the way he did, why would she um, totally well, get rid of the charges? Well, I mean, her ju- I mean, well, her her justification is that this was a a victimless crime that she's got more important things to do than than fool with you know, some wealthy actor who tried to stage a stunt like this. She's got murders and assaults and things like that that he wouldn't have gotten any time anyways, so he's willing to walk away and and forfeit $10,000, so that's the best she could do. That's her reasoning. Now, you know, which, 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 Jeff, if you think about that, this, this is very broad. There's a lot of victims. I mean, this is this is far-reaching as far as... Um, yeah, the, you know the violence associated with with this kind of thing, and and oh yeah, yeah. So oh so her, oh, oh no, I right, I'm what she said in front of the camera is it's not it can't it's it's I really struggle with the truth behind that. Well, right. I mean, thanks to call Jeff. Now, of course, the thing is, you're never you're you're never going. That, I mean, that's the public statement to the extent. I mean, do I, do I think somebody paid her off or something like that? No. Um, my guess is, and this this. My guess is this is the true thought process that's going on. She is correct to an extent that Jesse Smollett wasn't going to prison or anything like that. That that was just kind of the reality of this. She probably, 
I think, had some pressure from some well-connected people who were saying, okay, look, this is a good guy. He made a mistake. What are you going to accomplish by trying to put a felony conviction on his record? We're going to go to trial. You're going to have to spend $100,000 of you know your office's money trying to prosecute him. Come on. He, he, he's a good guy. Let's just kind of let this thing go and let's move on. And undoubtedly, I suspect probably because some of the people that were reaching out to her, she she made that decision. Now, that's not corruption per se. It's just, all right, we're and and I think that she probably, you know, didn't want to alienate some of the constituencies that to this day believe Jesse Smollett, Jesse, Jesse, Jesse Smollett was a a victim. I just don't see the guy as a victim at, at all in this matter. And at the very least, if you make false police reports and you end up costing the city of Chicago, you know, $130,000, well, that, yeah, then I think you should pay. And for people who say, well, you know, it wasn't in the context of the criminal case, well, all right, um, one name, O.J. Simpson. Remember, you had that jury that just went nuts and acquitted O.J. Simpson of the murder charges. That didn't stop the families of his victims from pursuing a civil remedy and collecting a judgment against him. So... Just because the criminal case has gone away doesn't mean that there's not civil cases that you can bring. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Jason. You know, just you know, this entire thing just stinks to high. You know where it does. Um, not only should he be liable for the hundred thirty grand, he should be liable for all costs incurred in obtaining that hundred thirty grand. Um, now, can you imagine if this hap- if a white guy or whatever, normal person, Joe Blow, went down there and pulled this stunt? you imagine the outrage and the cry and how much money they'd be going after? Oh, okay, well, well let, let's, let's, not, let's not just take, like, any, let, let's imagine this is Mel Gibson. <laughs> okay, let, let's take, let's take a, a prominent, you know, um, a prominent, for example, white personality who would say the same sort of thing. Who, uh, if, if you had like a Mel Gibson who would say, "Hey, I was beaten up by these black guys wearing Barack Obama caps or or whatever," and they did this, and it turned out to be a fraud, my argument would be there's no way that they would have dropped those charges. They they just they they wouldn't have. That's just the reality of it. Oh, absolutely not. And him being an actor from Hollywood, him being gay. And hate to say it, but black, he had all that privilege on his side. And the DA was connected with Miss Obama, you know, who well, got her beak involved. Well, I mean, so, I think there there were, I mean, right, thanks. I mean, those are all things that I, I think, I think sort of played out because, I mean, and that, that's why people were so willing to believe his story in the first place. Because, again, you have an African-American, self-proclaimed, self-identified gay male who, who's, if this was true, is the victim of this horrible sort of situation. But it kind of checked off all the, the boxes for people who were, okay, this is what Trump supporters are all about. And this, they're all racists and they're all homophobes. And, and that's what made the story so very, very appealing when he ended up telling it. The the interesting thing to me still is, why, why did he do it? Why did he... Because this was not a sophisticated thing. The, the lie fell apart extremely quickly. So I, I guess, again, I think it's fair to ask why the district attorney did this stuff. I, I don't think you're ever I don't think you're ever going to prove that there was, uh, again, that she was taking payoffs or stuff. My guess is this was just kind of the politically correct thing to do on a number of different levels. So she did it. And my guess is she's going to pay at the ballot box if she runs for reelection again. But that doesn't mean that 
the taxpayers of the city of Chicago should be on the hook for all the costs they incurred in trying to run this thing down. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, Rusty, are you into Game of Thrones? You going to be watching it on Sundays? Never read the books, never seen an episode, so I am one of the few that doesn't really matter. All right, so, so you're going to just miss this whole winter is coming thing. You're 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 closed out on this portion of pop culture, huh? I'm from Wisconsin. Winter is always coming, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, yeah, very touche. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I'm kind of in the same boat because I. I will not watch miniseries until I've read the books, and I, I read—I watched the first year because I read the first—I mm-hmm. read the first Game of Thrones book, and it's long, it's dense. I've got the other three or four. I got the other four, I guess, and I just—I I haven't started them yet, and so it's kind of like, okay, I want to read the books before I, I watch the thing. So I'm, I'm in the same boat. I. I kind of know who the characters are and all, but I'm, I'm going to. You and I are going to be the, the on our own little pop culture <laughs> island. So, that's it. You bring the beer, I'll bring the chips. We'll be fine. Sounds like a plan. All right, pop culture corner is coming up. No, it's not TV related this week. Um, get your traveling shoes on. Stick around. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Like the voice man says, Pop Culture Corner. We do this this time every week. Sometimes we talk about TV, sometimes movies, sometimes restaurants, sometimes sports, sometimes music. It just depends on what's going on in a given week. And Lord knows there was enough choices out there. Summerfest announcing its complete lineup. We could do music type of stuff. Bucks getting ready for the playoffs. Um, and that's going to be, it's going to be just great. I, I think legitimately, I think they've got a chance to go all the way. I, I just, I don't follow the NBA enough to make predictions, but I mean, I think they've certainly got as good a chance as anybody. So we could talk about stuff from the world of sports. As we were just talking about Rusty and I, you've got Game of Thrones coming here. You could do TV, but I I don't think so. Given, given the weather, I know that a number of people just got back from from spring break. I understand, you know, Easter's late this year, so a number of families, maybe last week was spring break, so maybe you're just back from spring break. I think, especially given the fact that they're still talking about snow here, there's a lot of us that are thinking, man, is spring ever going to be here? Is summer going to ever be here? But people are already thinking about their summer vacations, or maybe you're making plans for where to go in the fall. So I thought... We would do a road trip segment of Pop Culture Corner. Here is what I would like to discuss with you. Your favorite vacation spot of all time. If you could recommend one place, and it could be in the continental United States, or it could be anywhere in the world, one place that is your happy place, that you would be willing to share with people and say, just if you're looking for a vacation, this is the place to go. Where would your happy place be? Where is your top place to vacation? Like I say, it could be Wisconsin. It could be anywhere in the country. It could be anywhere in the world. But that place that, you know, you love to go to and you would like to share it with everyone else. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I always say on this segment, our our phone lines tend to jam up, so I encourage people to call quickly. Um, We want to get to as many calls as we possibly can. And I always advise people, don't overthink it. I mean, it doesn't 
you know, if you if if you like if you like going down to Cudahy and hanging out for for a week, that's okay. You know, you don't have to overthink the thing. But your top choice for a place to vacation. We will explore. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Roadkill lining up the calls. Back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. It's Pop Culture Corner. That's, of course, the theme song from Vacation, the movie. All right. Where's your happy place? We're talking about vacations, road trips, where do you go? Where's your favorite spot? All right, we've really, the Twitter, our um, text lines exploded. Let's see. Harry says Aruba. Yeah, that's what part of the ABC Islands, Aruba, Bonaire, Curacao. I haven't been to any of them except um, my brother-in-law is from Bonaire and keeps inviting me down there, and I'm going to take him up on it sometime. Another text, Savannah, Georgia. Savannah is absolutely gorgeous. If you want to you want to enjoy the antebellum south, Savannah, Georgia is the place to go. All right, another text, spring training every March to see the Milwaukee Brewers in Scottsdale, 414-799-1620, or Phoenix, that would be. 414-799-1620. All right, let's start with Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Uh, This area you could spend weeks and weeks uh, on, and that is the San Francisco and surrounding area. Mm Mm-hmm. San Francisco is so unique with all of the things, the, the cable cars and uh, and the, uh, Chinatown. And right. then uh, you drive down to Monterey oh, yeah. <laughs> and Carmel, uh, yes. where, where uh, Clint Eastwood used to be uh, the, the uh, mayor. The mayor, sure. Yeah. And, and then you drive north past San Francisco uh, to Napa Valley. And uh, you've got all that Napa has to offer. You could just spend weeks there. Yeah, it's um, I, I one of my favorite trips was um, Pebble Beach. You know, you talk about the Monterey Peninsula. Yep. Now, now, yep. candidly, three weeks, three days at Pebble Beach cost me more than a week in Hawaii. <laughs> but, but it's <laughs> I believe that. But but it, it was just wonderful. And I have never I have never done a Napa wine tour, but it's kind of on my mm-hmm. bucket list because everybody that's done it tells me it's absolutely great. Yeah, that's a, that whole area is wonderful. It, it is. No, thank, thanks for calling. I I think San Francisco is one of the the great cities in in North America. I've told the story before that the last couple times I've been there, the, the homeless stuff kind of um, it, it was just it was sort of difficult to get around. Um, and I think they've got to deal with that. But that whole area is wonderful. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Rob in Green Bay. Hi, Rob. Hey, hi, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, take me on the road with you. Where are we going? I'm going to Colorado. Okay. And it doesn't matter what city I'm in because me and my wife are big craft beer people. And okay. I went to Colorado, and I did a whole craft beer tour of almost everyone there, and I, we loved it. I mean, <laughs> just to see the Rocky Mountains, and we got we went to a show at the the Red Rocks Amphitheater. It was just amazing. I thought you were telling me you and your wife were like big pot smokers, and that's why you were heading there. Oh, we did not do that. <laughs> no, fair, fair enough. No, thanks for call. I mean, Colorado, I've been to Denver several times and to um, Colorado Springs, where the Air Force Academy is, and Greeley, Colorado, where Northern, University of Northern Colorado is. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's just a spectacular place. 414-799-1620. Scott in Elm Grove. Scott, where are we going on our road trip? 
Hey, Jeff, Hi, thanks Scott. for taking my call. Sure. I, uh, I would say that uh, Kauai, Hawaii, and okay. Maui, Hawaii. Uh, Kauai is incredible because it is literally like, you know, no other place. There's chickens walking around. There's, uh, you know, the Waimea Canyon is so beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's breathtaking, but yet on a very small scale. There's not a ton of people. Right. Uh, it's just paradise. Yeah. And uh, for anyone that can ever go there, it's just amazing. It's uh, yeah. I'm, I've yeah, never so been bad. to Kauai. I've been to I've been to Maui, and I love that. And I've been to Oahu, you know. And I right. Uh, so you know Waikiki and saw Pearl Harbor and all that. I will tell you, Oahu kind of reminded me of sort of like any big warm weather city, you know. But yeah. Maui was what I thought what what I thought Hawaii was going to be like that that sort of lush tropical stuff. Absolutely. I, I, the one thing I thought when I first went into Oahu was like, you know, no offense to Chicago. It's like I can go to Chicago anytime I want. I mean, the, yeah. the sky, skyscrapers and yeah. you know, that's not what I thought Hawaii was. And I've been fortunate enough to be there a few times. And, and uh, I just think Hawaii was just breathtaking. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm sure. Thanks. And again, and I'm, I'm not knocking Oahu. I mean, I, I just I would encourage. Look, I, I love going to Pearl Harbor. And you know, doing some of the tours and Waikiki Beach was great. So I'm not I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying, Oahu. If you were going to go all the way to Hawaii, I wouldn't just stay at Oahu. I mean, Oahu was wonderful, but there's all sorts of other stuff to see. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hiya, Jeff. I'm going to say Rileyville, Virginia. It's next to Luray. It's close to the uh, Skyline Drive, Shenandoah National oh, Park. Oh, okay. It's just, uh, we go there, we've been there seven years in a row, and uh, I'll tell you, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. The only thing I didn't like is when we first went there, there's signs that say, Falling Rocks. <laughs> and uh, I never seen nothing like that, so I was like, what the heck are they talking about? Right. But it, it, it's beautiful out there. I just love Virginia. Yeah, the, I mean, thanks. The, the Shenandoah Mountains are, are wonderful. I, I love Virginia, too. Um, my my best friend went to college at uh, William & Mary, which is in Williamsburg. And if you ever get a chance to, to go to Williamsburg, I would encourage you to, to do it. It's just um, it's it's spectacular. Now, I would encourage you, not last time I was there was years and years ago when he and his wife got married, and it was uh, August, and August in August in Washington, D.C., and August in Williamsburg, Virginia, it's like 95 degrees and 100% humidity. But that notwithstanding, it was absolutely great. While I'm talking about that, I mean, for anybody who hasn't been to Washington, D.C., if you ever get a chance, you absolutely have to go. It's, I... I used to, in another life, get back and forth to D.C. all the time. I never, ever, ever got tired of it. Um, there's just so much to see. And, and even if you were there five years ago, go back because there's so much more to be out there. 414-799-1620. Let's see. Our text line has exploded. Black Hills of South Dakota. Um, yeah, especially if you're into camping and things like that. Uh, no, no question about it. Um, Mount Rushmore is something that you have to, you got to see. Let's talk to Kevin in Franklin. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Your, uh, your place. If we're going on a road trip, where are we going? Uh, the Outer Banks of North Carolina. My wife and I just discovered that uh, last year. We were there the the week after spring break was over, right? <laughs> and discovered some real, real jewels out there. It's where Kitty Hawk is. Right. Uh, we discovered that they had uh, 
sunken U-boats out there, and there was all kinds of maritime history, and, and that's where they caught Blackbeard and killed him. I mean, it was mm-hmm. what guy can't love airplanes, submarines, and, and pirates. Well, <laughs> yeah, right, airplanes, submarines, and pilots. pirates, you're right. Plus, um, I, the fishing is outstanding. I, oh. I, know, I know people who go out there who make regular fishing trips out there like, like every year, and I, I'm not sure which, which one they end up on, but, you know, but they just they love it. They absolutely swear by it. They say it's great. It is. It is. It's definitely worth uh, worth the time. No, thanks to call. Outer Banks works for me. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jerry in Glendale. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Venice, Italy. All right. Interesting that you would mention that because um, I, I I I I liked Rome. I loved Florence. Venice didn't do that much for me. What What do you love about Venice? Why Why is it so special for you? Gondolas. Uh, yeah. The churches, yeah. the museums, it was just the whole ambiance of the place was, just, yeah. it was just different. Well, you know, it's definitely different, and, you know, go see it now before it's underwater. Were you, was it dry when you were there? Because it, it floods yeah. like half, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was dry, and uh, it was pretty busy, but now I understand they're going to start charging tourists to just visit there. Yeah, yeah. It's um. No, thanks. It's it's interesting because Venice is one of these places. That it's not like anywhere else. And you either, I, I think, you either love it or you don't. And I'm going to be honest. I kind of fall into the don't category. I'm I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I I ended up seeing it at once. But that that I don't necessarily have a desire to go back. Let me give you a couple quick for me. Um, South of France, if you ever get a chance to go to Nice, I encourage you to do it. Nice is just, it, it's its like no other place that I've ever been to in the world. It's just absolutely spectacular. And, and then, you know, you've, you've got the Mediterranean Sea there. It, it, it kind of takes your breath away. In the continental United States, I don't make a secret of this, Key West is kind of my happy place. I, I would never live there because it's very, very touristy and very, very expensive. But, uh, again, our, our last caller was saying he goes after spring break. We typically go down in February, spend six days down there before spring break, because once spring break rolls around, it kind of gets nuts. But I I just absolutely love Key West, and that's, that's kind of one of my happy places. And it's sort of like as soon as I get back, it's like, all right, let's figure out when can we go back the next year. 414-799-1620, Richard in Menominee Falls. Hi, Richard. Hi. All right, your happy I like, place. I like, the, I like uh, New York State and the Finger Lake region. There's four lakes there. Uh, it's a wine country. Mm-hmm. And at the bottom, one of the lakes is actually where NASCAR's uh, Watson Glens, where they do road races there. Okay. So that's, we're, we're that's, talk, you're talking upstate New York, right? Upstate New York, yes. Right. Now, it's interesting you should mention that because, actually, I've been kind of thinking about a, a vacation, probably not this year, but maybe next year. My wife has always wanted to go to Niagara Falls, and I've always wanted to go to Cooperstown and to Saratoga Racetrack, where they run in August. So I'm kind of – I've been talking to some people who are from there, kind of plotting out that area to go to upstate New York in, in August and just kind of rent a car and drive around that whole area. Well, the Finger Lakes are between Cooperstown 
Okay. And Niagara Falls. All right. Well, there. <laughs> I'm I'm making a mental note to kind of put that on. Thanks to God, I'm making a mental note to kind of put that on the list because again, I've always wanted to go to Saratoga, and they're, they're telling me, well, you can fly into Albany and go that way. You can fly into Buffalo and go that way. But I, it, it's and it, all, you do it in August for me because that's when again they run at Saratoga. All right. I'm sorry. We have jam phone lines, but um, and the text lines exploded. Sedona, Arizona, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh, the whole island of Japan. I have never been there. Uh, uh, just a week in the north woods of Wisconsin. Um, huh. Number of people are saying different spots in Italy. Uh, wish we had a little bit more time. Portland, Maine, all great choices. Bottom line is, that's one of the fun things when it's mid-April and you're still getting forecasts of snow like we are for Sunday. You get to think about some of the fun places that you can get to go when you get a chance to escape the weather. 